Amen, amen. Good morning. And by the way, it's okay to clap and praise and worship, amen? I know some of you were a little, can I clap? Is that okay, right? It's okay, praise God, right? Amen, for all that he is doing and all that he has done. And we are here to declare the reality of that and walk in the victory that Jesus has purchased because of that. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here. And whether you are the first time here or whether you've been here many, many times, your family here, and we love you here. And um, I'm so glad that you are here. And if this is one of your first times or you've been around for a little bit, as Nate said earlier, we have a step one right after church, right outside, look for the blue tent and come hang out. We would love to get to know you more. We'd love to share our hearts about what God's doing here um, in, in a big way. God is faithful, amen. And I'm uh, just so thankful for God's faithfulness, so thankful for your faithfulness and giving in every way. And as we come to a, a fiscal year close, the end of August is the close of our fiscal year. Thank you for your, fis- uh, your faithfulness in that. We're going to have an update next week for you on how God has been working and, and where he's leading us as we head into a new ministry year. And so uh, we will share the, the elder, on behalf of the elders next week about what God's doing there. Um, but just uh, thank you for your faithfulness in that and helping us to finish a new fiscal year, uh, the current fiscal year strong. Um, school is starting up. I don't know if you've realized that or not, um, and we're going to be in Hebrews 30, 31, and actually a lot of je- uh, the first six chapters of Joshua this morning. But school is starting up, whether you're a teacher, and we have a lot of them, one thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you do um, for our kids and so many. What you, you do a labor of love, and you do amazing work. We're praying for you, and we, amen, we're, amen, and we're with you. Um, and students, whether you have already started or whether you're about to start, whether you're homeschooled, whether you're private school, whether you're public school, we're praying for you. We with you. We love you. And, on, and in the spirit of school starting, I've got a pop quiz for you guys. Some of you guys are like, oh, the air just got sucked out of the room, right? <laughs> Bad memories. Okay, here's a pop quiz. How many Mission Impossible movies have been made? Too many, amen. Can we get an amen, right? <laughs> amen. Well, up to this point, there have been seven. And there's an eighth coming. I haven't seen the new one this summer, so don't, don't spoil it for me. I, I do enjoy the series. But Tom Hanks for over 20, uh, Tom Hanks, I said that all the time, Tom Cruise for over 27 years has been playing the role of IMF agent Ethan Hunt, has been tasked with a mission that seems impossible and odds that seem stacked against him to save the world from some impending crisis. And he gets his mission. It's like, should you choose to accept it, right? And he does. And somehow he comes out on top. And guess what? what happens a few years later. He's got to do it again, right? <laughs> because while that mission was successful, the battles continue. And in a very similar way, we're going to see in the nation of Israel in the text today that the reality that as, you, as God provides in one battle uh, out of the conquering reality that he has already won the war, the battles in our lives continue, right? And, and while Tom, Tom Cruise has done this for over 27 years and somehow it doesn't seem to have aged a day, um, we have a whole lifetime of battles in front of us. The nation of, of Israel, when we left them last week had just conquered, we've seen God conquer the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea. And you might be like, let's relax and praise the Lord, which is what they did. But we're going to see the journey continues today. And that you and I, as recipients of the grace of God, the saving grace of God, in a very similar way, have been given a mission, just like the nation of Israel. God gave Abraham a mission in Genesis 12. What he said, you are blessed to be a blessing, that all nations might be blessed in you and through you, that you have received the grace of God to then be a conduit of the grace of God. And this mission has been given and passed on to God's people from Genesis 12 all the way through the New Testament, through Jesus Christ on the cross, to us on the Great Commission. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we've been given by Jesus Christ the ministry of reconciliation. So the question, friends, and, and Harvest, whether this is your first time or not, your family, is that you have been given a mission by God 
It might seem impossible to be a conduit of the grace of God, to be an agent of the grace of God, a not-so-secret agent, right? Ethan Hunt might be a secret agent. You are called to not be a not-so-secret agent of God's grace. Are you choosing to accept that mission or not? Are you choosing to embrace the grace that God has given us, the life-transforming, life-saving grace? Praise God for it, amen. And to receive him and put your faith in him as Lord and Savior, but the same grace that saved you is the same grace that God uses to send you. You're going to see the big idea on the, on the screen and in the text and in your notes today is this, that we are saved by God's grace. Praise God. Amen. What a great God we have. To be agents of God's grace. To a world around us in desperate, literally dying need of God's grace grace. Amen. So the question that you have this morning is this, and every day when you wake up tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday is, will you choose to accept that mission that God has given you? Will you choose to remember the gospel and what God has done for you, the great grace that he has given you, no matter what battles lie ahead of you, that God's grace is greater, that he will strengthen you, he will empower you, and to live as that conduit, to live as that agent, because it's going to be all throughout the text today. And it's all throughout the pages of the New Testament as God's church, as God's believers, that we have been sent on God's mission. He chooses you and I. I don't know why he chooses you and I. There are a lot better agents out there, quite candidates, right, in in a lot of ways. But he does. And he wants to use you in big ways. But before he uses you, he wants to change you. And so I pray that however you walked in here this morning, that you would allow the grace of God to transform and change you, sustain you, strengthen you, and then you would allow the grace of God to send you to a hurting world around you. And that hurting world probably begins in your own, in your own house, in your own neighborhood, in your own, in your own workplace, in your own schools. And praise God for his grace, because we're going to see the reality of the strength of God's grace that creates his beauty out of our brokenness today, that no one, no person, no matter your past, is beyond the saving power of the grace of God. And that's going to be on vivid display today. Praise God for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you this morning. I need you. I just pray that your words would flow, that you would silence me, and that your beauty of your gospel would just be on vivid display. God, as we see the people of Israel grow in their faith in you, as they experience grace after grace after grace, we are here to just thank you for the reality that your grace never runs dry. We're here to declare your greatness, to pursue your glory, and God, in and through it all, God, just to experience your majesty as we walk through the battles that we are facing, that we encounter obstacle after obstacle, adversary after adversary, both external and internal. God, I pray that your grace would sustain us today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you do what you promised to do and that you would convict us and compel us, encourage us and exhort us through the power of your word. Silence me. Holy Spirit, may you flow powerfully in this place today. Jesus, manifest your presence We need you, we love you, we long for you, and we look to you, and we exalt you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you would, uh, to put your, actually Joshua 1, put your, which is where we're going to be today. We're actually going to do a little bit different today. We're going to look at a survey of six chapters of Joshua, but really in the context of Hebrews 30 and 31, we are journeying through, verse by verse, through Hebrews uh, chapter 11 to see God's grace grow, to see God build his people, to see God sustain his, and build his, uh, what will turn into be his church. And here's Hebrews 30 and 31, which is our anchoring passage, and we're going to look to Joshua 1 through 6 for context and application today. But here's Hebrews 30, 31. 
by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So again, our big idea is that we are saved by God's grace to be agents of God's grace. And we see that right here in Hebrews 11, 30 and 31, right? By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, so she is saved by God's grace, amen? Now, the whole, all of scripture is inspired. It is Holy Spirit written through human authors. God is specific when he wants to be specific. He is generic when he wants to be generic. And there is a reason why it says, doesn't just say Rahab, it says Rahab the prostitute. Because God wants to highlight his saving grace and the magnificence of it. She did not perish with those who were disobedient. Why? Because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. She had been saved by God's grace. And what did she do? She acted as an agent of God's grace because she demonstrated God's grace to spies of God's people who were desperately in need of God's grace, demonstrating outwardly the internal transformation that God's grace had already done inside her. So we see the big idea right here in Hebrews, and we're going to see it vividly throughout the six chapters of Joshua that we're going to look at today. Now, a lot has happened. We looked at Hebrews 11.29 last week. A lot has happened between Hebrews 11.29 and Hebrews 11.30 and 31. More or less 40 years have happened. And when we last left the, the, uh, the nation of Israel, they had been celebrating a great victory. In Exodus 15, what were they doing? Were they running away from God or were they doing something else? What were they doing? They were worshiping. One of the most impassioned worship songs to God, heartfelt singing, dancing, tambourines. You wonder why we are all about passionate worship here and that's expressed differently through personalities. Why? Because we see it vividly in the text. So they were worshiping, but here's the reality that their hearts soon after that began to be drifting. Now they experienced God's greatness. He provided manna and quail, but they began every day to eat and they began to whine. We see God continuing to move and God gives them the law. He takes Moses up on Mount Sinai. He gives them the law, the 10 commandments. But you know what the people of Israel did? They got tired of waiting. Moses, you've been a while. Um, God, hey, Aaron, can you make me a bronze calf? Because we need someone to lead us because we haven't heard from God in a while. Moses is MIA. He's gone AWOL. And they worshiped an idol because they got tired of waiting on God. Where in your life right now have you turned away from God to an idol to find your sufficiency, your satisfaction, your leading because you've gotten tired or you think that God's waiting on God to do your way. You think God is silent in your life and he's not working. That's the nation of Israel. Now, the installation of the law points us to the reality of our need for a savior, right? Because the law just points to the reality of it. God's like, if you do this, then I'll do that. It's a conditional commandment. But the reality is we can never keep it, can we? It points us to our need for a perfect Savior. It points us to our need for Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And so the nation of Israel continued. We're not going to have time to really uncover everything that happened in these 40 years that are in Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. But incredible things happened. The tabernacle was formed and built. The, the Ten Commandments were given. There was a rebellion by people against God, so much to the point that God opened up the earth and literally swallowed the people that had the rebellion. Pretty crazy, huh? And we get to this point where they're getting close to the promised land and they send spies 
and numbers to that promised land. Say, go see what the enemy looks like. And so they send 12 spies, one from each tribe, and guess what they find? The spies go into the promised land and they come back and 10 of them are like, you should see the size of those guys, (laughs) right? We could never conquer them. We can't even think about going in that land. Two of them, however, Joshua and Caleb said, have you seen the size of those guys? Yeah, they're great, but have you seen the size of our God? He's greater, amen? And if he promised that to us, he will provide for us in it. God got really upset at the people because they, the, the spies and then the vast majority of the hundreds of thousands of Israel went along with the spies and said, we can't go into the promised land. We won't, we will get destroyed. And he said, how dare you despise me? He literally said that to Moses. I will destroy my people because they don't trust me. They're not following me. And Moses, the leader that he is, began to intercede again for his people, begging for God's mercy. And God relented and said, I won't destroy them right now, but here's the punishment because sin has consequences. None of this generation will see the promised land. They will drop dead in the desert, except for Joshua and except for Caleb, because they trusted me. They trusted my promises. They looked to me. And that's what happened. And a little bit later on, the people were whining yet again, and they said, we need water. And Moses said, well, God brought water out of a rock before, and God said, speak, Moses, to this rock, and I will bring water. And they were whining, 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 and Moses finally had enough, right? And you know what he did? He smacked the rock with his staff. He disobeyed God. God didn't say smack it. He said, speak to it. And in his anger and his frustration, he committed a sin that God said, your consequence, Moses, is this. You will not see the promised land. He got to the one yard line. And God in his sovereignty decided that it was the consequence that was adequate for that situation was for Moses to not personally enter the promised land. But God gave him the grace, his grace is good at the end of the chapter of Deuteronomy, to bring him up on Mount Nebo in Moab overlooking the promised land and say, look what I'm going to do. And Moses installed Joshua as a new leader you know, through with God's blessing. And that's where we find ourselves in Joshua chapter one. The context is it's a people that is confused. It's more a new generation of people mourning the death of Moses after they had wandered for 40 years as part of the consequence for this believing the spies, probably remembering the death of their own parents whose generation had all passed away remembering the reality that in this land that they were supposed to take existed giants and fortresses. And maybe you find yourself in one of those scenarios that you're remembering your loss, your mourning and grief, you're staring at the obstacle, you're looking at the giant. The text today is asking you, loved one, to not just look and to change your focus from the giant to the greatness and the greaterness of our God. And so we find ourselves today looking at the reality that our heart can be deceitful above all things. God says that in Jeremiah 17, nine and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. We had seen the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, drift their heart away from God even after experiencing a great victory in God and suffer the consequences from God. God's after your heart today. Where is it? we're gonna look at the reality of this situation and we're gonna see God's grace on display. What does it look like to experience God's grace and then what does it look like to live as agents of God's grace in a hurting world around us 
And often the greatest enemy is not around outside of us, but you know where the greatest enemy is? Inside of us, our own hearts. So we're going to see two attributes today of agents of God's grace as we sort of matriculate and move through Joshua, the first six chapters here. That we, aren't, we are recipients of God's grace and that is vividly displayed and we, we need to receive God's grace before we can distribute it. But we are called to live it to a hurting, dying world in desperate need of it. Agents of grace we're going to see come from expected and unexpected places. Will you choose to live as an agent of grace, walking in the saving grace that God has given you? The first attribute of an agent of grace is this. You'll see it in your notes and on the screen. Agents of grace humble their heart before God in all. Humble their heart before God in all. Now, you ever watched a movie or seen a TV show where the opening scene is like this epic championship game or this epic battle scene or this dramatic scene and you get to the middle of it and you're like, how did we get here? And they're like, stop. And they're like, hey, and then the next scene is like six months earlier, five years earlier, like they rewind. Like, how do we get here? Well, here's newsflash, spoiler alert. The walls of Jericho come tumbling down. I don't know if you heard that in Sunday school or not, but they do fall down. Um, and, Gen- and, and Joshua 6, and we're going to get there. But the question is, how do we get there? Because the reality is this, faith, as we think about it, is, is a product and a process. What I mean by product is this. Faith is, if the product is the action in the moment, right? I will choose to take this step of faith today to, to do this with my finances, to have this conversation, to move geographically, to stay geographically. Whatever that decision point is, that's the product. But the process is God is continuing to work in you, to grow you, to strengthen your faith. Just like you might need to go to the gym to work out your physical muscles, God is in an ever-growing, ever-evolving process of growing your spiritual muscles of faith. It's a process so that you can continue to take bigger and bigger and bigger steps of faith as you see God is bigger and bigger and bigger and greater and greater and greater. So as we get to the execution phase of faith, of the mission, the preparation phase is just as important, which is what we're going to see today. And bold faith is a process for all, and it's available to all. It's a po- and it starts with a posture of humility and dependency. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself Less, as authors have said. Biblically speaking, humility is what John the Baptist perfectly describes in John 3.30, where he says, I must decrease, right? And what? Jesus must what? Increase. It's seeing God as greater. It's seeing me in the reality of who I am, my desperate need for God, the, the privilege and the availability of God, and responding in a heart of worship accordingly to who God is. This morning, we're going to look at the process of God's amazing grace at work inside of us to produce a fruit of bolder faith in us and through us that will change the world around us as we live as his agents of grace. The pathway to a life of bold faith for God is paved with a heart of humility before God. Isaiah 66, 2, God says this, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, that means broken over your sin and trembling at the word of God. Is that you this morning? That's a posture of humility. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembling at my word. So we're going to look at a couple different heart postures of humility that we see in the book of Joshua leading up to this walking around the walls. The first is this, dependence on God. That's the first heart posture of humility, and that's in Joshua 1. 
So if you're in Joshua 1, follow along as this is Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, a servant of God, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to you. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And yen, you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Praise God for that. Amen. We see in this the dependency that Joshua needs to have on God. That God shows up literally in the middle of the grief that Joshua is experiencing. In the middle of the, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to now fill the shoes of Moses that he is experiencing. In the middle of the fear of I have to lead these people to battle. God shows up and God shows off and he, God looks at, Moses, at Joshua in the same way he looks at us. You can depend on me. You can trust me. I've brought you thus far. I will not fail you. And we see Joshua receiving that. That's a gift of grace, amen? We see that Joshua receiving that and begin to literally stand in it. Because when we see Joshua, he is down, grieving the loss of Moses. And God meets him and says, my brother, my son, I want you to know that my grace is sufficient for you, even as you grieve, that you can depend on my grace in your grief. And the time to stay still is done. It's time to move forward. He literally says, arise and step forward. Mission means movement by definition. God promises Joshua all the land that his, the soles of his feet stand on. So if Joshua stays put, guess how much land they're going to get? This. If Joshua moves forward, he picked up another piece of land because God promised that. No matter the obstacles in front, no matter the adversaries, God says, I will be with you. You can depend on my power. You can depend on my protection. You can depend, God says, on my comfort in the middle of your grief. You can depend on the direction of my word. You can depend on me. And Joshua, the key to all of this is I will be with you, right? that our doing for God must come after our being with God. God is calling Joshua to abide in him, even every step of the way on the journey. And I don't know where you're at today if you're walking through grief, and grief is very, very real. Grieving the loss of a loved one, grieving the loss of a situation, grieving the loss of a whole generation of Israelites that Joshua, I'm sure, had great relationship with. Grieving, grieving whatever it is, a future endeavor that you were hoping for, grieving the past, whatever it is, God is saying to you the same thing he's saying to Joshua, that you can depend on me, that my comfort is sufficient, that my plan will be successful, that my purpose is at work. And it's time for you 
to in whatever way God is calling you, even as you grieve, to step forward. Humbly. Grief is not the absence of pain. Grief is the presence of God in the middle of pain. Lament is real, but we can trust God to move forward as you depend on him with confidence. You can depend on God to make you prosperous, not in the way that the world counts, but in the way that God counts. He says that right there. You will have good success, verse 8. And on, a, on a, a picture frame that's in my wall and many other walls, I'm sure, in, in the room that, verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How do you not live in fear? Through dependence on God. Today, are you depending on God or on you? God's way or your way? The second, and then we see God receive, we see Joshua receiving that as an agent of grace and as a, as a person in need of grace personally. And then we see God, Joshua as a conduit of God's grace because we don't have time to do it, but we're, so we won't. But the last cha- half of chapter one, he then rallies the whole nation of Israel and says, guess what, guys? God is sending us and God is with us and God has a plan for us and it's go time. And they looked at Joshua and said, as the Lord was with Moses, we see him with you, let's go. So he spoke to the hurt of the people around him. He's spoken to people that were grieving the loss of Moses as well, the loss of their loved ones. Their parents were dead. The whole generation had died. And Joshua says, I know my God. Let's depend on him and spend time in his presence and walk with him. We depend on the Lord today. Where do you need to depend on him today? The second heart posture of humility is this, is confidence in God. And we see that in Joshua 3 and 4. We're going to get back to chapter 2 at the end. In Joshua 3 and 4, so they're on the move, mission means movement, and you'll see, a pos- you'll see this map up behind me. Basically, they are c- encamped at this place called Edom Shittim, and they're, they're moving east to west, and between them and between Jericho is what? A river, the Jordan River. Flashback to the Red Sea. There's no bridge. There's no Army Corps of Engineers. There's no way around it. Guess what they got to do? Go through it. Now, they already, God had promised, and go back to Joshua 1, he's like, I will, you got to cross the Jordan. You're like, how? God's going to do it. And so God does it. They, they take the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, they go in the middle, the waters part, they walk through the water. But look at what happens in, in chapter 3, verse 10. And Joshua said to the people, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that you will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. Everybody. How? Because God's going to part the Red Sea. He's going to give you a sign to boost your faith confidence so that when we get to the wall of Jericho, and by the way, the battles continue after Jericho, you can have confidence that I have already given this to you so you can follow me in obedience. God is continually, each and every day, giving, out of his grace, giving you signs of his abundant power and his grace and his mercy. That he's supreme over your situations, that he's sovereign over your circumstances, that he sees you, he loves you, and he has a plan for you. Praise God for that, amen. God loves to show off his power. Are you looking for it? Are you trusting in it? Because that's what this is. Confidence is growing as as the people are moving. The next heart posture of humility is this, is that it's a witness for God. Remember, humility is not the confidence in yourself, but it's the confidence in our Savior. It's a witness for God. So they they part the Jordan River and look at the back end of chapter four. And this was so consequential for the growth of and the building, God building this church. If you were here, part of core group, and I know some of you were, this was our initial launch fundraising passage and verse 
This is the purpose. God reiterates it. As his grace, he separates the Jordan River. But look at the purpose for that. Not only to give confidence to his people, but it, doesn't just, it isn't just for his people. It's for the world. It's for the nations. He says, take stones, set up a memorial, 12 of them, in fact. And when your kids ask you why this is here, testify a witness about the greatness of God. Chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, this is God, when your children ask their fathers, In times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell your children now. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up until until we passed over. So that what? All the peoples of the earth, isn't that amazing? may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Again, agents, we are saved by grace to be agents of grace. God saved them. He brought them through the Jordan River. Here's a purpose. Here's a purpose so that you can see the greatness of God and that you can display and be a conduit and be an agent of the grace of God. Why? So that all the peoples of the earth might know how awesome and mighty our great God is. Amen? That's awesome. It's a great commission. It's our purpose. That's a heart posture of humility, a willingness to testify. Who do you need to testify and witness to about the greatness of God in your life this week? Somebody at your workplace, you're in your neighborhood, your house, your new school, somebody you meet at the gym. Don't hesitate to point them to the greatness of God. It wasn't just like, yeah, we had a great day. We, parked the, we, we parted the, the Jordan River on dry ground. They're like, why? How'd that happen? I don't know. It was just a thing. No, be intentional, right? A pointing to Jesus. How did you make rent this week? God provided. It's all God. How did you resolve that conflict? How did you restore that relationship? It wasn't me. It was God, right? Our lives are to be living memorials and testimony to the grace of God. Are you living that out faithfully? Heart posture of humility doesn't want the credit yourself, but it points the credit to Jesus. Praise God. Identity in God is the next heart posture of humility that we see. So as we continue our journey to Jericho, Chapter five, verse, first nine verses here, what happens? A whole new generation is circumcised. Everybody say, ouch, right? Ouch. So this is one demonstrating trust in God because they're in enemy territory, aren't they? And newsflash for you, if you're, all your guys just got circumcised, you're down for the count for a couple days. <laughs> you're vulnerable. They're trusting in the protection of God by doing this. And they're putting their weight in the full identity with God because the circumcision in the Old Testament is an outward representation of an inward transformation that says, I am now fully identifying with the family of God. I'm so thankful for the new covenant, okay? (laughs) And God's grace. Um, Because now what we have in place of circumcision is baptism. Now, Paul writes that, that really God is really after the circumcision of the heart more than any physical body part. But now what, what we celebrate baptism, a believer's baptism, it is an outward representation of an inward transformation that says, I am on team Jesus and I want the world to know about it. And I know different people for different reasons struggle with baptism or have fears about baptism or different things or it's even greater or bigger than that. But I, part of, maybe a stepping out step for you, for whatever reason, is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism, just like the Israelites are willing to embrace circumcision. And we have one coming up on September 10th. And if you've never been baptized as a believer, we would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. To fully identify publicly 
and a heart posture of humility that says, I need Jesus and I've experienced the saving grace of God and I want to tell you about Jesus as an agent of that saving grace of God. Amen? So are you fully identifying with God and maybe, maybe more than baptism, maybe this week you need to live in that identity. Maybe some things from your past or maybe your presence or maybe your future worries are like starting to gnaw on you. Can you remind yourself today of the reality of your identity in Christ, that you are who God says you are, you aren't who the world says you are, your past says you are, amen? That you can anchor in that, that you can drop anchor in that reality. Praise God for his grace. Next, we see that trust in the deliverance of God is the next heart posture of humility here. So if you continue on this journey towards Jericho, we we see in verse 10 and 12 that they celebrate their first Passover in Canaan. Now, what is Passover? But it's a remembrance and a commemoration of God's deliverance of his people out of bondage and slavery through the shed blood of a perfect sacrifice, a lamb, out of Egypt. It's preventing them and covering the, the death that came across the whole nation of Egypt through the display of the blood of, of, of a lamb, pointing directly to the reality of our need for a savior, amen? That we are destined for destruction. We are doomed for death. Just one sin condemns us to death and it requires a perfect sacrifice, one that we cannot make. But God sent a sacrifice for us and his name is Jesus Christ, the son of God, who lived a perfect life and died a horrific death on the cross, taking your place and mine and in that place, covering us with God's righteousness, with Jesus' righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees us as holy and not hostile and he can now adopt us into his family because we're no longer forsaken, but we are forgiven. Praise God. Amen. Our sin has been covered. So today, will you trust in the deliverance of God? And I love how Paul writes about it in Ephesians 1. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, and by the way, the you means all of us in this room. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's not like I've been good enough. No, one sin and we're all sinners in need of a savior. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Remember, we are saved by God's grace. We're not saved by works. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but it is a free gift. Have you received it? Have you chosen to respond to it with a saving faith? It's available to everybody. God is God. Jesus died on the cross, but you have a decision to make, and a non-decision is a decision that says no. So today, friends, if you have not put your faith in the Lord, will you choose to respond to the saving grace of God today? No more delaying, no more denying, no more distracting or deflecting, but put your faith in the Lord as, as Jesus Christ, as you're not just your Savior, but your Lord. And if you have, will you choose to walk in that this week? Amen? We choose to trust in that and preach the gospel to yourself. Remember that God's grace is sufficient for whatever situation and circumstance you find yourself in. Remember that no one can take away your future inheritance of eternity. No one in no situation can stop God's love for you. Anchor in Romans 8 if you need to remember the reality of your identity and the power of God's love for you. Six, we get to the next heart posture of humility. We see reverence for God. And Joshua, as we're closing on Jericho in chapter five, verses 13 through 15, I'm gonna read this. And it says, when Joshua is by Jericho, so he's right there, he sees the 13 foot walls, this obstacle in front of him that no man in themselves can tear down. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries? 
And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does the Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. It reminds us very much of the the scene with Moses and the burning bush. Joshua is reverent before God because God is worthy of it all. God is demonstrating his vastness and his greatness. And as he is encroaching on this battle and is wondering, are you for me or against me? How many of us have that heart posture today? Is the world for us or is it against us? Is everybody out to get me or not? What this text is teaching us is that is the wrong heart posture to have. Because Joshua shows up, the angel has, the commander of the Lord's army has his swords drawn. Can you imagine that intimidating sight? And John, are you for me or against me? And he says, no, I am for God. This is how the battles are won, guys, in our hearts and in our lives. This is huge. Before the physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. So many of us are focused on the physical battle. How am I going to make the money? What am I going to do with the house? What am I going to do at work? And we neglect the spiritual battle that we're already losing. But what did Joshua do? He immediately dropped to his knees, and what did he do? He worshiped. This is how we fight our battles. Worship is our weapon. Humility says, I want to get as low as I can, as fast as I can, for as long as I can, because he is greater than me. And worship changes our heart posture from self-focus to savior focus. And then he said, take the shoes off your feet. Because the place where you are standing is holy ground. He says, I am here. And all of a sudden, Joshua's like, it's going to be okay, right? (laughs) I don't know the details, but I know the deliverer, and the deliverer is here, and he's going to win. When all you care about, and when your top priority is God's glory, you will always experience a victory. When your top priority and a reverent humble posture is the glory of God, you will always experience a victory. Whether I physically win at Jericho or not, whether I live, whether I die, when my heart posture of reverence is a holiness before God that says, God, use me however you would. I'm going to worship you. Whether you slay me or not, you will be glorified. When God's glory is your top priority, you will always experience a victory. Is God's glory your top priority today? Because that's a heart posture of humility. God, I want you glorified because so often, and myself included, whether we admit it or not, we are after self-glory. Worship is our weapon of humility of God, seeing God is greater than me, that I need God, I need his grace, I am lost without it, I can't save myself. But God, praise him for his holy name. And seventh and finally, the heart posture of humility that we see here is obedience to God. So chapter six happens. And they, they, their hearts are ready, and the battle is getting go. And now Jericho, which is verse 1, chapter 6, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel, none went out, none came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand, and its king and its mighty men of valor. March around the city, and men of war around once, and you shall do it for six days. And it goes, and it continues to read, so on the seventh day, you'll march seventh time, they'll blow their horns, and the walls will come tumbling down. Now, as the process of faith has been given, building in these people, if you're, on the, if you're part, part of the nation of Israel, and here's the battle plan. Okay, we're going to walk around the city for six days in a row once and not say a word. Do they teach that in the army college of war these days, right? Is that a strategic plan for battle? 
No, but when your heart posture is reverent, you're gonna trust God and obey him in conventional and unconventional ways. Because you're gonna trust that God knows what he's doing. When he says go, you go. When he says stay, you stay. When he says give, you give. When he says love, you love. When he says share, you share. No matter how much your mind goes, this doesn't make sense. Do it anyway. Because God is greater. And a heart posture of humility goes, you are the commander in chief, God. I'm gonna get off the throne of my heart and I'm gonna let you speak and I'm gonna obey. And that's what happens. Verse 15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given us the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute, we'll circle back in a second there, and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall be going to the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all the relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord." But Rahab the prostitute in her father's house and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And he has, she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy the Lord. So it's amazing you see that the recipients of God's grace, the spies, we'll look at in a second, were now agents of God's grace to go and save Rahab physically. Praise God for that, amen. Are you willing to obey God in conventional and unconventional ways? trusting the reality that we are saved by God's grace to be agents of God's grace. The second attribute of, of an agent of grace is this, that an agent of grace elevate, is one who elevates God overall. Agents of grace elevate God overall. Humility means full submission and full surrender to God. And turn with me back to chapter two. The beauty of God's grace is that it is an absolutely abundantly free gift for you and I, for everyone. And though I, it was free to us, it was not free to God, amen? It cost Jesus his whole life, all of it. No matter your past shortcomings, your current sin, no matter your family of origin, your current work environment, what you do for a living, where you've been all your life, what your skin color is, what language you speak, the salvation is possible for you through the saving grace of God, amen? Praise God for that. No matter the level of brokenness that you have been in or are in, the grace of God can save you, sustain you, and restore you. God makes beauty out of our brokenness. That is this story right here. That is his grace. In 2.1, we see in, Joshua, in chapter 2, Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. They go to the, go view the land, especially Jericho, and they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. They lodged there. 
And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab and said, bring out the men who you, you have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come and search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that were laid over on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as, as far as the, the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, Rahab that was, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the fear has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God he is God, and the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, and when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So she lowers the guys out of the, out of the side of the, the house. She's built, her house is built into the wall. She uses a scarlet cord sign uh, as a sign of where her house is. What's amazing here is that we see God at work in a phenomenal way. Apparently, these spies were not great spies because they got discovered very quickly. (laughs) And these men were lodging at the house of Rahab. She also served as sort of historical context as an innkeeper. And so that's why they were there. Um, Nothing else was was going on. Um, And so, but Rahab now finds herself at a major crossroads. She was just waking up, doing her job, and she was living in this broken world of, of sin. And our world is broken, isn't it? Trying to make ends meet for our family. We don't know a whole lot of background. We just know what the Bible describes. And it's amazing to me the number of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just Rahab. It's Rahab the prostitute. Joshua 2, Joshua 6 multiple times, James 2, Hebrews 11. The Bible wants it very, very clear that we see the grace of God in this story. She was risking her life for men that she did not know. She was willing to go against the king who would certainly kill her if he found out. She was risking her life to help Jewish crusaders going against her own people. She was at a crossroads, and maybe you're at a crossroads today. You've been doing stuff. You live in a life that you know is not from God, and you've just been like, how do I get out of this life? Man, the grace of God is available for you just like it was Rahab in this moment because in an instant, God can change everything, amen? In a moment, he can change everything. He did for Rahab, and he can do it for you. God is faithful. She chose to elevate God that she did not know a whole lot about over the king, culture, and the consequences that she might face. She knew enough about God to elevate God. And I pray that you would do that the same. I love what Paul Tripp says when he says that God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give God's grace to those who are in need of grace. Amen. And that can happen in conventional and unconventional ways. God's grace is uninhibited, even when he uses people that are unexpected. Grace is, by by definition, unmerited favor. Elevating God overall means that we cling to God's greatness in the face of difficulty. Rahab did that, are you? She trusted in God's sovereignty in the face of hostility. Are you willing to do that? Her whole future was on the line. In a moment, she had to choose God or other stuff. God or my, God or my 
potential consequences, God or something else, what will you choose? Doing the next, and, and elevating God overall means doing the next right biblical thing and, tr- and God-honoring thing and trusting God with the, with the consequences. She just did the next right God-honoring thing. Now, sidebar, she lied. God honored her for lying. Get in line for heaven and ask God about that when we get there, okay? <laughs> she chose to elevate God. How do we know that she elevated God? Her own words in 8 through 11. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said this, I know. I know. Now, did she have a great theological background? No. Was she a pagan prostitute? Yes. Did she have a lot of uh, Bible classes? No. Did she have a lot of uh, time around God's people? No. She had a lot that she didn't know. She probably couldn't tell you whether it was old age, earth, or new age, or predestination, or whatever. She couldn't have a theological discussion about you. But she knew God. Don't let what you don't know about God stop you from putting your faith in the one you do know as God who has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. Look at what she knows. I know God's promise and provision. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Like, I know God's provision and God's promise. And that was enough for her. She knows, I, uh, that was verse 9. Verse 10, for you have, I know the power of God. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And then when you came out, you laid desolate the kings of the Amorites and the Jordan and Sihon and Og's. You devoted to destruction. I know that God is more powerful than my king, earthly king. Third and finally, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because for the Lord your God, he is Lord in the heavens and above on and below. I know the preeminence of God. The Lord your God is above. He is greater. She didn't know much, but what she knew about God was enough to put saving faith in God because she had personally experienced the grace of God. Is it enough for you today? What are you hesitating for? She knew God. She didn't let her background, her culture, her allegiance to her country, her allegiance to her earthly king, her life as a prostitute, her guilt, her shame, her past sin. She didn't let that stop her from throwing herself on the grace of God and experiencing salvation. And then the act of saving the spies is an outward representation of an inward transformation that's already happened because agents of grace are ones who've already been changed by grace. Where are you allowing your background, your country of origin, your past, your failures to stop you from putting your faith on the Lord? God's grace is greater than your greatest sin, amen? He loves you and he looks to you. And here's the beautiful reality of this as we... is that Rahab didn't just talk about faith, she acted in it. Where do you need to take a step of faith today? She put it all on the line. And God honored her. We saw in chapter six a moment ago that when Jericho was sieged, her house, which was inset in the wall, stood. The walls came tumbling down, but you know whose house stood? Rahab's. When the world is crumbling down around you, God's grace will uphold you. He keeps his promises. Paul Tripp talks about the nowism of grace, that God's grace doesn't just save me in the past, but it's powerful in the present to strengthen, to sustain. What we often see as dead, God doesn't see as done. God's grace instantaneously transforms and saves. And God works in ways that we can't even imagine. So check this out as we move to close here. God saved Rahab 
who have been living a life apart from God, hostile to God in sin. And now he adopted her into her family. We see in, Genesis, in Joshua 6 that she is living with Israel. But God had an even bigger plan. She married an Israelite. She had a son by the name of Boaz, a daughter-in-law by the name of Ruth. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. God used Rahab to be the great-grandmother of David. And through the line of Rahab, eventually down the road, through God's grace, comes the greatest agent of grace of all time, Jesus Christ. She is one of five women listed in the Matthew 1 genealogy of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because God, in a moment, changed everything for her. And that same God, through that same saving grace, wants to change everything for you today. Rahab didn't know that God would use her to birth eventually David and then Jesus. In the moment, she just trusted the Lord with all she had. Will you do that today? She is one of two women listed in the, in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. God's grace is amazing. God's grace changes everything for you and God then wants to use his grace in you to change the world around you in ways that are mind-blowing to you. Just do the next right biblical God-honoring thing, trusting for God's grace to sustain you through one conversation after another, to strengthen you through one hard decision after another, and to carry you. So my question for you is, God's saving grace is available for you. What's your response? Rahab looked and she says, I know the Lord, your God. And then she said in, in verse 10 or 11 of chapter two, he is God. He's like, she's like, he's my God. It was a declaration of dependence. You might be here today and you know that Jesus is the savior. My question for you is, is he your savior? You know, God is great, yeah. But is he your God? And if not, will you choose to respond to grace with faith today? It's available. And then who around you can you be an agent of grace for today? And then tomorrow, in ways proactive and planned, in ways that you will respond to as events unfold, just like Rahab had no idea that those spies would be sought out by the king that day. But in that moment, she reacted with grace because she was anchoring her heart in the grace of God she had already received. She was in a conduit and an agent of grace. May God work in you and through you because that same God wants to do in you what he did in Rahab. He wants to make beauty out of your brokenness for his glory and his glory alone. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for grace and goodness and mercy. God, we thank you that you are awesome and you are enough. And in these moments, God, I just pray that you would just move and work in our hearts, God, for your glory that we would experience the reality of your grace and that we would respond to it in faith. God, that we would live with reverence that prioritizes your glory, knowing that when we prioritize your glory, we will experience a victory because you will be glorified. Thank you for your grace which saves us and your grace which sends us to a world desperately around us with de which desperately needs your grace through us. Father, allow us to humbly respond in desperation and need, declaring that we can't save ourselves, but turning to you with faith and then turning to you to follow you each step of the way as we choose to live for you. In your name we pray, amen.